My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I want you to think about the word empty. Now, have you ever crammed for an exam? You spent the entire night cramming and memorizing facts and figures. You sit down in the test. We, by the way, there's a term in psychology for that. It's called overlearning. That's the official psychological term for cramming. And right in the middle of the test, whoosh, all the information disappears. In fact, the psychological term for that says that the forgetting is impressive and sudden. Now, the good news is that the information will come back, but not for about two weeks, which will do you no good on the test. But nobody wants an empty mind. Have you ever tried to look for that word? And it's just not there. There's nothing worse than going to the refrigerator and open it up and taking out an empty milk container. Mom always shouts, who put the empty milk container back? We don't like empty things. An empty gas tank. I borrowed a friend's car on Friday to take my bicycle to the shop and back so I could get on the road when it gets warmer. And my friend was impressed because they expected that the tank would be empty, and I filled it up. They called me up and said, why did you fill it up? I said, well, my dad taught me if you borrow somebody's car... You give it back, but they expected it to be empty. Or the last tissue in the box. Don't you hate that? You reach, and the tissue in the box is emptied. Who's, who doesn't like, who, who does not not like an empty wallet? Or you go to the ATM and you have an empty bank account. I hope you're getting the, the, the idea here that we don't like empty things. If you go to the grocery store, some stores are still having toilet paper shortages. Like, folks, it's been over a year. You don't have to hoard it anymore, but nobody wants an empty toilet paper shortage or a cookie jar. Or Vicky likes to put out the candy dish with the uh, Easter-colored M&Ms. She likes the Easter colors. And she's not happy if somebody eats all the candy. Now, I don't know who would that be. There's only two of us that live there. Uh, I don't know about you. This is probably a man's thing, but there's nothing worse than an empty sock drawer. You get up first thing in the morning, maybe you go to the gym, take your shower, open the sock drawer, and there's no socks. Then you got to decide if you're going to go with no socks or do the sniff test. Now that's funny, none of the men laughed at that. I don't think there's anything worse than an empty promise, or worse yet, an empty prescription bottle. You go, it's like, oh shoot, I meant to call. In the last year, we've learned how sad it is to have an empty church, or an empty stadium, or if you're an opera singer, an empty concert hall. Now, you know, we look forward to that day when all the kids leave, <laughs> And then they call it the empty nest. And then we just wish for a moment that they would all come back. We don't like empty things. In fact, I don't know of anybody that equates the word empty with something good. And yet, today we celebrate an empty tomb. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to watch Penn and Teller fool us. On Friday nights from 9 to 10. Now, you know I don't stay up that late. I DVR it. 
I watch it the next day, and you can fast forward all the commercials. And you've seen some of my children's sermons. I'm an av- amateur and below average magician, but I know many of the tricks of the trade, and I'm often amazed at the talent and skill and the creativity required, but I'm often not fooled by the trick. And then something amazing will happen, and I'll say to Vicki, who, by the way, just sits next to me, this does not interest her at all, but I watch Hallmark movies. She's got to watch Penn & Teller Fool Us, and I'll look at her and go, how did they do that? And she just rolls her eyes like me, like that is the whole purpose of the show, is to make you say, how did they do that? Now, there's three things that magicians do, and I want you to learn the official word for them. The first one is a great word. It's transmorgrification, M-O-R-G, transmorgrification. And that's when you transform something in a surprising or a magical manner. That's that one where they, they take the ace of spades and they say, is this your card? And the person says no, and they shake their hand and all of a sudden it's your card. Transmorgrification. Well, a dead body went into the tomb. <laughs> And a live one came out. That's transmogrification. Things disappear and reappear. I, I know you've seen this one. They'll put the pretty girl in the box. They'll put all the swords in the box. Then they open the box and the girl's gone and she's hanging from the ceiling. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but you know, musicians hire twins. I was so upset when I learned that. Oh man, he's got two girls. That's not fair. But we make things reappear and disappear. And guess what? If you go to visit your grandparents' tomb, you expect them to be in it. But this one was empty. And the last one is transportation. You know, that's, that's that one where they move something from here to there. And that's exactly what happened. Except none of these were tricks that a magician could do. This was a miracle. And there's three things we know for sure because of the resurrection. If you're taking notes, these are the three main points. The first thing we know because of the resurrection is this. We have hope for the future. The second one is this. We have help in times of trouble. And the third one is this. We have healing for sinful hearts. Well, let's look at the first one. Hope for the future or our future. A school teacher was assigned to visit children in a large city hospital. One child she was told was a must see. She took the boy's name and room number and was told by the teacher on the other end of the line, we're studying nouns and adverbs in the class now. I'd be grateful if you'd help him with his homework so he doesn't fall behind the others. It wasn't until the visiting teacher got outside the boy's room that she realized It was located in the hospital's burn unit. No one had prepared her to find a young boy so horribly burned and in great pain. And the teacher felt that she couldn't just turn around and walk out, so she stammered awkwardly, I'm I'm the hospital teacher, and your teacher sent me to help you with nouns and adverbs. The boy was in so much pain that he barely responded. But the young teacher struggled through the English lesson, ashamed of putting him through such a senseless exercise. The next morning, the nurse on the burn unit asked her, what did you say to that boy? 
Before the teacher could finish her outburst of apologies, the nurse interrupted her. You don't understand. We've been very worried about him, but ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's as if he decided to live. The boy later explained that he had completely given up hope until he saw the teacher. It all changed when he came to a simple realization, and with joyful tears, the boy said, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with the boy who was dying, would they? This story invites us to celebrate the gift of life, the hope we have for the future with a life with Christ. It shows us that on the other side of pain, there is resurrection, and it reminds us that whatever is possible is possible through hope. The second point was this. We have help in times of trouble now and always. Earl Nightingale, the motivational speaker, used to tell the story about a man who was observed running towards a large river. And as he ran down the dock, he would pick up speed and he would jump out as far into the river as he could. And then he would turn around and swim back and do it all over again. Finally, after several times, somebody had to ask, what are you doing? He said, a friend of mine bet me a million dollars that I couldn't jump across this river. And thinking over those odds, I I thought I should at least try. So it is with those who defeat death on their own. No one can work their way to immortality. We say that a lot. You can't earn, learn, try, or buy your way into heaven. Pastor Craig Barnes compares our human struggle to that of a person pushing against a huge stone. A stone like the one that blocked the entrance to Christ's tomb. He writes that we've all been pushing against something for a long time. Maybe you're pushing against a supervisor who's hard to satisfy or the threat of having your job downsized. Maybe you're pushing against a marriage that seems destined for the ditch or maybe pushing against chronic pain, against depression, against loneliness and grief or against some other obstacle that is between you and your dreams. We work so hard to save our lives. We push and push and push. And in the end, it's one of the worst ironies of life. It seems that all that waits on the other side of this struggle is death. But we come to this room on Easter Sunday, and we realize that the stone has been pushed away. The stone of our mortality, the stone of our inadequacy, the stone of our impurity. God has given us his divine yes And we have a new picture in our lives. God has given us his yes. In Easter, God says to us, there is nothing in this world or the next that will forever defeat one of God's children. Easter is an act of God. Healing for us and those around us is the third point. And here is a short anecdote. In April 1995, Edith Smith lost two small sons, Chase and Colton, in the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, the two men with deep hatred for American government, 
set off a bomb that destroyed the front half of the building, including a daycare center. It killed 169 people, and Edie and her mother, Kathy Wilburn, were devastated by the loss of Chase and Colton. At the trial of Terry Nichols, Kathy Wilburn, grandmother of the murdered toddlers, sorry, toddlers, noticed that Terry Nichols' mother and sister were alone in the courtroom, bearing the brunt of hatred from the victims in the public. And as a Christian, a person who knows God's yes in her life, Kathy Wilburn knew that she had a responsibility. So she befriended Terry Nichols' mother and sister. In fact, she opened her home to them and offered them hospitality to the women she could have easily hated. Such love and forgiveness is possible in this world. It's possible because of what God has done in Christ. Easter says that Christ has forgiven our sins, not because we deserve it, but simply out of his great love for us. Easter is an act of grace. Jesus brings us hope. Jesus brings us help. Jesus brings us healing only if we do two things. We have to accept our responsibility and his gift. I want to finish with this true story. It happened in 496 AD. There was a king named Clovis I, and he was under the spiritual care of the Bishop of Remus. This poor guy's mother named him Remigius. I don't recommend that for a child's name. And for those of you that know, we are still on grandchild watch. The grandchild has not yet arrived. There is anxiety everywhere. I'm sort of glad to be in the house of God and away from some of the anxiety. So this guy's named him, her mother named him Remigius. He became known as the apostle to the Franks. And he is the one who converted the king of France to Christianity. The king came to church and on the first hearing of the Passion of Christ, he heard it with a military mind and he said, if my army had been there, he'd have never been crucified. The second time he heard the Easter message, he heard it with a different voice and he said, if I had been there, I would have stayed with his poor mother. So he moved from a military hearing to a sympathetic. It is said that the bishop knew that the king was ready for baptism when the passion was read in church a third time and the king remarked and said, if I had been there, I'd have climbed up on the cross next to him. Now the slow conversion and understanding our Lord's passion went from I would have defended Christ to I would have tended to his mother, to I would have climbed on the cross next to him. But might I suggest that that is not enough. The king of France was still not ready. The king needed to take one more step. The fourth step would be for the king to look at the cross and all its tragedy and pain and declare, I would have crucified him as well. Now you would be ready for baptism. Today we celebrate an empty tomb. Today we celebrate an empty tally of our sins. Today we celebrate 
that the empty promises of this world are being overcome by the grace and gift of God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. If